Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, First Church of Christ. I am so excited to be here today. Um, I hope whether you're watching with us online or you're here in person, uh, I'm just so excited that you chose to spend your Sunday with us. Um, I'm, a, I'm a t-shirt guy. I like to wear t-shirts all year round. Um, so I know the fall weather is coming and we're not going to see any more 70 degree days, but I still wear a t-shirt just because I miss the old days, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but hey, can we just give a round of applause for our worship team? They are so, they are so good. Like, I, I just, I was just sitting there and, and just, I hope you felt this. I hope you felt the spirit. I felt the spirit. You know, I, that last song is so powerful. Um, I hope like we can remember that it's not just a song we're singing, but this is like a fact that is this happened like Jesus's buried body began to breathe again. He rose from the dead and he literally told Satan. He told death. You have no claim over me. You have no claim over my people. He loves us so much. Uh, he has such love, such mercy and such grace for us that that he was willing. God was willing to send his own son. That's a real thing. He was willing to sacrifice his own son for us. So I just hope when we're singing those songs, we can remember that those are real events. Those are something that really happened, and and we can just appreciate our relationship with Jesus even that much more. Uh, I'm excited to be diving into a new series, uh, kicking off a series called Disruptive Jesus. We here at First Church of Christ, we believe uh, that Jesus wants to disrupt our lives to, uh, for, the, for the good, for the better. We believe God's wanting to do immeasurably, and greater, immeasurably greater things than we could ever ask or imagine. Uh, and if you're going to be uh, following along in Scripture, uh, I'm going to be jumping through a few passages, but we're going to really camp out in Luke chapter 6. So if you're following along in Scripture, uh, turn to Luke 6, and, and uh, I'll make my way there. But uh, just to kind of kick off the series, I wanted to throw a few verses your way and talk about uh, Jesus being disruptive in our lives and, and what Jesus sees when he sees us. The first verse I wanted to share is, is Matthew four twenty five. It says, large crowds followed Jesus wherever he went. Um, there's billions of people in the, in the world. Uh, there was thousands of people that followed Jesus. And if you look at really almost, almost any story in the New Testament, in the Gospels, it's a story where Jesus was in the midst of a thousand people or thousands of people and he was having an impactful moment in one person's life. If you think of the story of the woman with the, flow, the issue of blood, uh, the story of the woman at the well, the story of Zacchaeus, there's people all around Jesus, but Jesus sees the one person. And that's really what we're wanting to focus on. Jesus sees you. I hope you know that today. The other verse I wanted to share is Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news, of the kingdom of of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness and that's really a blueprint for for us as uh, Christians and us here at FCC um, we're hoping uh, not that not just that we're preaching uh, but you guys are also preaching about what what God's doing in each one of your lives and maybe it's maybe it's to a congregation but maybe it's just to a coworker at work or maybe to someone who needs to hear what God's doing in your life Um, teaching and equipping people who are baby Christians, growing, helping them grow in their faith and then healing. Maybe not, maybe that's not just like, Hey, help this person's leg get better, but maybe that's joining community group, uh, and, and working alongside somebody who's struggling with something and, and offering healing through prayer and, and healing 
and, and people's lives that way. Uh, that's really a blueprint for us. Uh, the, the second part of that verse, it goes on to say, When he saw the crowds, Jesus, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And like I already said, even in the midst of thousands of people, I hope we can write these three things down if you're taking notes. Number one, Jesus sees me. Even in the midst of a crowd, Jesus sees you. But he doesn't just see you as, he doesn't just see me as Taylor. He doesn't just see Aaron as Aaron or Mike as Mike, but he knows me. Number two is Jesus knows me. He knows your joys. He knows your dreams. He knows the things that make you happy. He knows your fears, your doubts, your insecurities. He knows those things you're keeping hidden from other people. He knows all of those things. And I think a lot of times... Uh, when uh, when we hear that that Jesus knows all the all of the things about us, it can cause us to to be afraid and to want to not be near God. Because if if God knows all of these things about me, then I'm going to have to really work hard to get back my relationship with Him. Or, or maybe some of us see God as this guy who's uh, this lightning God who's just getting ready to punish us for what we've done. But the, it couldn't, the truth is, we couldn't be further, that couldn't be further from the truth. Number three is, Jesus cares about me. That verse I just read, I'll reread it one more time. Jesus saw the crowds. He saw them as sinners. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Jesus doesn't see your sin and say, oh my goodness, this person's in trouble. He sees your sin. He sees your struggles. And he says, I want to help you. I love you so much that I want to help you. And that's really the lens we're going to be looking at, at this series through, Disruptive Jesus. Jesus wants to make a big drastic change in each one of our lives. And so the story of Luke chapter 6, if, you're open in, open, if you have your Bibles open, uh, we'll be starting in verse 6 and we'll finish in verse 10. Uh, it starts out, it says, On another Sabbath he went into the synagogues and he was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. We'll come back to that. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath, because that was illegal according to their laws. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. Pause real quick. A lot of people are, would probably say, man, I would have loved to live with Jesus, but Jesus knows exactly what you're thinking. I don't know if I necessarily would have appreciated spending time with Jesus because every time he would look at me and think, really, that's what you're thinking about, man? That's the dumbest thought I've ever heard in my entire life. And said to the man, and it, so Jesus knew what they were thinking, and so he looked at the man with the shriveled hand and said, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and he stood there, and Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? He looked around at all of the Pharisees, and then he said to the man with the shriveled hand, he said, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. I want to start off by talking about those last two words, completely restored. The word completely means healthy, whole, and sound. And I believe that when God wants to do a work in your life, he wants to do a complete work in your life. He's, he didn't just come to spend some time with us and tell us how to be better people, but he came and gave his whole life. He gave everything for us. Uh, when he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven, the 12 disciples in the book of Acts were accused of completely flipping the world upside down, metaphorically. But uh, they were changing the way 
uh, religion was done. Everybody thought you had to follow these rules, but the 12 disciples are saying it's not like that. We want to make a complete change in your life, and that's exactly what God wants to do. He wants to make a complete 180 in your life. The word restored means to return to its former self. And so for the story, for this story, uh, that kind of means that at one point this man's hand was, was okay. At one point, in order for it to be restored, it had to be good at one point. And so uh, something happened, a circumstance happened, an event happened that caused this man, uh, man's hand to not be functional anymore. And I think that might be true in each one of our lives as well, that uh, there's probably one area in your life that we're keeping hidden, that we're not wanting to show other people. Because at one, one point we woke up and we thought, how did I get to this point? I thought it was good, but I don't, I don't know how I got to where I am now. Maybe it's in your finances, maybe it's in a relationship, a friendship, or a marriage, or uh, maybe it is physically. Maybe there's something physically going on in your life. But uh, I want to talk about four truths that we can take away from this story, the man with the shriveled hand. Point number one is the devil attacks. And in the year 2020, I don't know if I really need to convince you that the devil attacks. I believe that's something we can all uh, understand. But uh, in the story, the very first verse, Luke chapter 6, verse 6, it said there was a man whose right hand was shriveled. The word shriveled means to be dried up or useless. Uh, what most scholars will tell you is that this man's hand probably um, was, wasn't just like it became shriveled immediately. But it was probably something like maybe an infection came in. And then it started the next day it started to hurt. And then a week later he couldn't feel his pinky. And then a month later, he couldn't feel his hand. And then a while later, it just stopped working altogether. It wasn't just like a one-time thing, his hand stopped working, but it was a process. And I believe the same thing is true for us. I, I don't think that the enemy necessarily is just going to just blow up your life in one instance. That can happen sometimes, but I think there's a lot of times where uh, so he'll... He'll come into our life and he'll change one thing or he'll, so one thing will happen to us or we'll just do this one little thing and it, and it won't be that big of a deal. But just slowly and slowly, the devil just embezzles a little bit more and a little bit more until we wake up and we don't really know where we're at. And I wanted to share a story about that. Uh, I was this, uh, I remember a, a long time ago when I was younger, uh, my parents, my mom loves treating kids to Halloween candy so whenever uh, Halloween comes my mom loves to give candy out but she buys candy a month in advance and so she'll buy you know that 60 pack of Reese's cups and my brother and I we would always stay up well after they go to bed they're they're early early to go to bed and you know we just say hey if we just take one Reese's cup each you know that's 58 Reese's cups there's still there's still plenty to give away and, you know, we, what we do is we take one and then we put it in the trash can, but we bury it under the other trash so that you can't really, it's hidden, you know, so they can't really tell. And then the next day, you know, you just take, two, you just take one until you get to Halloween and then there's just three Reese's Cups left. And she, she has nothing to give to anybody, so she has to go to the store and buy some more. I believe that's how Satan works. So the Bible tells us uh, that the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy the Bible tells us that Satan is a thief. Most thieves are really good. If, if Satan is a really good thief. Most really good thieves aren't just going to blow up your life in one instance, but they're going to do something in over time, just like I did with the candy. 
So I want to ask you guys a question before I continue, just to think about. The question is, what in my life, or your life, is withered and dry? What area in your life has Satan taken control of to the point where we need God to intervene in? I don't know how I can continue in my marriage unless God makes a change. I don't know how I'm going to make it to the next month unless God provides some finances. I don't know how I'm going to find any joy if I don't have any friends. Wherever you're at, I believe God wants to make a change. What in your life is withered and dry? See that same verse we just read, the man, uh, his right hand was shriveled. I'm a lefty. Are there any other left-handed people in the room? Well, there's a decent, there's a decent amount. Okay, that's cool. Uh, well, lefty's uh, creed in basketball is shoot to get hot, shoot to stay hot. Anything on uh, your side of half court is fair game if you're a left-handed player. Um, but typically, most people are right-handed. And I don't believe uh, that the Bible would give us a detail that's not important. I believe that every detail in Scripture is very important. And uh, most people are right-handed. And in this time, uh, right-hand, or not right, people uh, made money with their hands. People were workers. Uh, that's, how, that's how they made a living. And so uh, most likely this person's life circumstances weren't necessarily the best because his hand was messed up. But the point I want to make out of that, the fact that they were mentioning that it was his right hand, the point is, is that the enemy wants to take your greatest strength and turn them into weaknesses. I believe that there's things that, we've, that God's given us, whether it be um, love, uh, the joy, uh, passion. I believe God's given us a passion or a love for some specific thing, and that's the one thing that the enemy wants to attack. See, if we look at, look at it in Scripture and in history, if we look at the character Moses, he, uh, he was given this passion to be a deliverer. He, he grew up in Egypt as an Israelite, and the other, other Israelite people were slaves. Uh, so he had a passion. He was given this desire by God to free them. But because the enemy came in and changed his circumstances, uh, he ended up becoming a murderer. He murdered an Egyptian, and he freaked out because of his circumstances, and he ran away. That's, that's what he did. He, God gave him something good, and Satan used it to twist it into something bad. The next story, David, King David, he was... He was given this heart for God that no one else had. He was, if, you've read, if you've read the book of Psalms, he's re- he wrote almost every one of the Psalms. He, had, he worshiped and he praised God like no one else. But that, that one moment came, that event came that changed his circumstances. Uh, he, he, was, he was a king, and normally kings would go out to battle with their fellow soldiers, but he uh, chose not to go. He chose to stay. And because he did that, um, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and that's, that became a stain on his, on his life forever. And not only did he do that, he took Bathsheba's husband, and he put him in the front of the line of battle so he would pass away. If we look at Paul, uh, he, was, he was somebody who had a huge heart for God. Uh, he, he pursued God with everything he had. This was when he was Saul. He, he, was, he was this religious guy who tried to do everything that God told him to do. He tried to be the best one. And if there was anyone who deserved a spot in heaven for what they did, it would have been Saul. But when Jesus came and he didn't do things conventionally, he did things unconventionally uh, to the way they were typically done according to the law, 
Uh, and then people started to follow him. He got really mad at the way people were doing things. And so he decided to kill Christians. So rather than following after Jesus, he chose to become a Christian murderer. And that's exactly what the enemy does. It's not, it's not something that happens to ordin- just ordinary people. It happens to the greatest, uh, most, most, pow- most famous people in all of Scripture. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But the second part of that verse is also true. Jesus says, I came that you might have and enjoy life and have life in abundance. Have life to the full until it overflows. That's what God wants for you. He wants to give you life and not just, not just life to where you say, I think I'm going to survive today. I'm going to get through my shift today. Not just life where you say, man, I, just, I'm, I can do this job until I retire and then I'm going to enjoy my retirement. That's not what life means for Jesus. Jesus is coming to offer you joy in every single moment and so much joy that it overflows you have so much jesus so much excitement that you can't help but share your passion for christ with somebody else that's what jesus wants for us if we continue in the story um, it says the pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse jesus so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the sabbath which like i said earlier was illegal to do according to their laws Uh, But Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. I think that command that Jesus gave is really scary. uh, Because, like I said, when the enemy attacks, and it causes shame in our life, and and it causes us to freak out, uh, we, we get into a circumstance that we don't know how to fix, typically, number two, what we do is we withdraw. We go off on our own, and we try to hide. It's a trait that... It's not just common to us, but it's happened for all of history. The first man and the first woman, the first time they did something that God didn't like, they ate from the wrong tree, they ate the one thing that they weren't supposed to, the first thing they did was they ran and hide. And God calls for them and he says, Hey, Adam, where did you go? Adam, where are you? Eve, where did you go? The first thing they did was to run and hide. And I think that's so common for us as well. When, when struggles hit, the first thing we want to do is be by ourselves. Run away from God. Run away. We don't want other people to know what's going on in our life. I have this friend. His name is Alex. I got to visit him this weekend and, and uh, catch up with him. Went over to his parents' house, and his mom made us some food. And she told me this, this story, and I, I thought I wanted to use it in this, uh, this sermon. Uh, this was a story about when Alex was six years old. Uh, he, every mom thinks their kid is the most beautiful kid in the world, so... Uh, she was saying, oh, my, my baby, he could convince me anything because he was so, so adorable. And uh, so she's at the dollar store, and Alex really loved Hot Wheels. And so he, he said, hey, Mom, is it okay if we get this Hot Wheel toy? And she was just having one of those days where you just enjoy telling your kid no. I don't know if you guys have that, but she was just, no, you cannot. I have the dollar, but you cannot, you cannot get that toy. And he was, he was just wheeling and dealing, trying to get her to buy him this Hot Wheel toy. And she just kept saying no, and finally he kind of realized it wasn't going to happen. And so she, uh, she turns the corner to go to a new aisle, and what he cho- chose to do was grab the Hot Wheel toy and go out into his car and wait for his mom. He was hiding from his mom so that when she came back, he would be, hey, surprise. I don't know what he was thinking. Like, is she, is she going to forget that she brought me? Or like, I don't know what she was thinking, but... Uh, and this was back in the times when everybody leaves their car unlocked, um, like Aaron does now. If anybody wants to take his car, feel free to just... He leaves the keys in it. I mean, just, yeah, whatever. I mean, go right ahead. 
but uh, he got he got in his mom's car and he just chose to wait. He's like, okay, as soon as she gets done shopping, she'll come back and and uh, I'll tell her I was here the whole time. And he, he, for some reason, couldn't understand why she was in the store for hours and hours and hours. And she was really worried looking for him. Uh, and she, right before she decided to call the police because she couldn't find him, uh, she chose to go back into her car and check and make sure and see if he was there. And he was. Um, but the point of that story is she told me this after. She said, I wasn't mad. I wasn't that mad that he stole the item. What really made it worse was that he chose to hide from his situation. And I think that's what makes it worse for us is that when we, when we do struggle, when we do battle with something, we choose to hide from our circumstances, and that's, that's so much harder. And the truth is, is that we spend more energy hiding than we do healing. If we spent as much time reading our Bible and spending time in prayer and spending time with an accountability partner as we do running from our circumstances, I believe that we would be in a much better and much healthier place than what we are right now. And if I could discourage you a little bit more, the truth is, is that this man with the shriveled hand, when he walked into church that day, he walked in with his hand in his pockets, and the Pharisees knew, they might not have known it was his right hand, but they knew there was something off with him when he walked into church. They knew there was pain in his heart. Jesus knew there was pain in his heart. And I hope you guys know, when you come, when we hear hard, hard words, when we, hear, when we hear people who are just really struggling, we can hear it. And the, the, the thing is, is it's not because we're not going through it. We can hear your pain because we're going through the same thing too. It's not something that's uncommon to everyone. Everyone is battling struggles together. And so I, it's, hopefully that encourages you to not hide your pain from other people because everybody's going through something. And other people have perspectives that might help. Um, 2 Corinthians, this is a, something that Paul told us. Paul was battling this uh, struggle. We don't know what it was. We don't know if it was a physical struggle. We don't know if it was a spiritual struggle or a, a mental struggle or a relational one. Uh, but we know he was going through a struggle, and he asked God to heal him. And God told him, no, this is what God said. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses. I delight in my insults. I delight in my hardships. I delight in my persecutions. I delight in my difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Our weaknesses is what brings us closer to God, but it's also how God uses our lives to shine in other people's hearts. So I believe... I believe that we impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people with our weaknesses. It's great that you have that many zeros in your bank account. It's great that you have this title. It's great that you have that car. But really what people need is to know, how did you get through that marriage struggle? How did you get through that addiction? How did you get through that abuse? How did you battle through this? How did you overcome this? How did you grow deeper in your relationship by this battle? That's what people need. People aren't asking about the destination. People aren't asking about the accomplishments. People are asking how you got through it because we're all struggling together. It goes on and it says, Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. I'm not going to have us do this in front of, in front of everyone. We're not going to do this in church today. But number three is that Jesus calls for you. 
That's exactly what he did to Adam and Eve in the garden. They hid and, and God called for them. He said, hey, where are you? Where are you? That's what he did in the story of this man. He called this man up. He said, get up here and stand in front of everyone. If, if religion, I hope, I hope we're not at the point where if religion, religion has convinced us that God's mad at us. I told us, I said this earlier, but I want to repeat it. Religion tells us that God is mad at us, that God is going to, we're going to be in trouble and it's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of pain to battle through, to fix our circumstances. That's what religion tells us. Like I said, the complete opposite is true. The Bible says in the book of Luke that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The exact opposite is true. Your insecurities and your struggles and your battles are the exact reason Jesus came. Jesus didn't come because he was mad at you. Jesus came because he has compassion for each one of us and he wants us to be free from our struggles and from those battles and from those insecurities that we're hiding and that we feel shame of. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He's not mad at you. He's not mad at you. It goes on in the story. It says, He looked around at all the Pharisees, and then he said to the man, he said, Stretch out your hand. And this is, this is, this is the most important part of this, of this message he, he calls the man up to the front. The man comes up to the front, which is already a nerve-wracking thing for this man. This man was not somebody who was up in the front celebrating about publicly with his right hand up in the air. He was in the very back of the room. Jesus told him to stand up, come to the front, and hold his hand up in front of everybody. That's what he called him to do. And like I said, I'm not going to call us to do that right now in front of everybody. But I want to challenge you guys, don't miss your opportunity. Don't miss your opportunity. When Jesus calls, he's, want, he's, he's, wanting to, he's waiting for you to answer. He's not going to force his way in. He didn't force his way in with Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve ran away, and Jesus called for them. God already knew where they were. Like God, God's, God's not playing a game of hide and seek, and he doesn't know where they're at. God said, Adam, where are you? He's waiting for them to come to him. Most of my time in student ministry, I've spent six years now in student ministry and moments where we have, let's just say a, a spring break trip in Florida, moments where students are acting like it's okay and at the end of the week, what they got out of the week is that they want to grow in their relationship with Jesus. That's great. But really where the most freeing moments came in those trips and those moments of student ministry is when somebody who everybody knew what this kid's problem was. Everyone already knew. He came up to me, pulled me to the side, and he said, hey, I just want to be real with you for a sec. Moments that start with that sentence right there are the most freeing moments for anybody. And I want to challenge you guys to have moments like that this week. Don't miss your moment. When somebody comes up to you and says, how are you doing? And you know they're a believer in Jesus. Ask them to pray for you. The Bible says confess your sins to one another and pray for one another because the prayer of righteous people has great healing power. That's what it says. Come together. Join a community group. If you're not in a community group, my community group, I've been able to share a lot with them, and I've, I've, I've been able to give a lot of wisdom to other people, and we've been able to pray together through different battles that we've had. Don't miss your moment. 
the last part of the verse, Luke chapter 6, verse 10, it says, he, he didn't miss his moment. He raised his hand for everyone to see. And he was completely restored. Number four is Jesus restores. That's Jesus' plan for you. He wants to restore what you don't think could ever be fixed. He wants to restore anything that's, that you're battling through right now. And he, not, like I said, it's not just, it's not just a, oh, it's fixed. It's, not, it's that John 10.10, abundantly restored. It's not just normal. It's great. God's got something in store for each one of us uniquely. I said this in my offering talk last week. Because Peter listened to Jesus, he had faith that Jesus was going to do something. He walked on water. Other than the creator of the universe, there's only one other human being, and that's Peter, who's ever walked on water. If we step out in faith, and we let God be in control, and we let God take our doubts, and we let God take our insecurities, and we let God be in control of our marriage, or our finances, or the alcohol, or whatever it is, if we let God be in control, he's going to do something with it that you can't even imagine. So I'm going to pray for us, and the worship team's going to come out and play one last song, and I hope we can cling to that song and proclaim it as truth. Uh, but uh, like I said, don't miss your moment this week. Spend some time with somebody. Tell them, tell them what's really going on on the inside. An iceberg, icebergs look beautiful above the water, but icebergs only show about 10% above water. The nine, other 90% of the iceberg is underwater. Let somebody see your 90% this week. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. God, I pray that I was speaking to someone. God, I don't know who it was, but God, I believe you're going to do a work in their life. God, we know from 2020 that the enemy attacks. We know that. It's not, it's not foreign to anybody. We know that the devil's prowling like a lion. He's ready to pounce, whether it be one big blow up or, or over something that's happened over months and years and we don't know how to fix it. God, we know you're calling us. We know you're calling us because you've got something greater in store for us. And I, I just pray that we can step out in faith and be real with somebody this week. And just tell them what's really going on on the inside. Because, God, that's where you offer restoration. That's where you want to restore our hearts. And I pray that you do that in somebody's heart this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.